Welcome to the Fintech Times News and Views podcast. Established in 2016, the Fintech Times is a global multimedia news outlet centered around the world's first leading fintech newspaper. We report on the latest and brightest ideas from the fintech world. Follow the conversation using hashtag TFD News and Views and follow us at, at the Fintech Times. Hello, 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 and welcome back once again to the Fintech Times News and Views podcast. Tom Francis, it is a brand new week. Uh, it's been a busy one, really, but how are you guys doing today? Yeah, not too bad. It's good to be back. It's nice to actually finally sit down and be uh, talking about fintech again because we've had a busy week at Fintech Week London, a lot of running around. Um, so it's nice to actually get back to, to the day job. Yeah, I just want to echo that, really. I mean, it's been nonstop. I mean, you guys were there monday or tom i think you were there both days at fintech week london right polly you were there monday i went on tuesday it's been a a nice time i mean seeing the the tottenham hotspur stadium i mean as a brentford fan i wasn't i haven't been to the brentford stadium in a while and seeing having the white hart lane be the first stadium to go to in a while was a bit disappointing but i can't lie that stadium is incredible so no it was a nice time and it made all the better by the fact there was a really successful event going on absolutely absolutely well lots of things to learn uh from that as well lots of interesting conversations to be had just generally it was a, a really cool event for sure uh, but we are back talking about fintech on the podcast so what are you guys going to be discussing this week uh francis so this week i'm going to be discussing cash free payments recent launch of a cvv free card in india awesome and tom uh, yeah so this week i'm going to be talking about cyber security and cyber attacks uh, largely based on a new report from Kroll. Fantastic. And I am going to be looking at alternative payments um, and loyalty cards and embedded banking all in one kind of big soup uh, of an article. Uh, but Tom, why don't you go first today? That would be a pleasure. Um, so basically, I thought I'd steer the discussion towards uh, cyber attacks this week because they've hit the headlines a lot in the last few weeks to the last month. Um, and I thought it just coincided quite nicely with Kroll's new report, which is based around organizations' trust in their own cybersecurity. So to give a sort of a quick recap, um, essentially the media has covered a lot about um, the Mover attack, which I'm sure a lot of people have heard of. Um, but basically what happened was in, in a lot of major companies like British Airways, the BBC uh, and Ofcom, uh, and, and many more, to be honest, all had um, employee payroll information stolen from them uh, in cyber attacks. Uh, so just to give like a brief overview, basically what happened was a UK-based HR software and payroll provider called Zealous used um, a service called Moveit, which is a file transfer service. And these uh, sort of this threat group, believed to be from Russia, kind of took advantage of a vulnerability in the Moveit um, software and the hack resulted in a lot of compromised payroll data uh, that Zealous were holding and all the affected companies use Zealous to hold their payroll information basically about their employees. Um, so this threat group put up a ransom online on the dark web telling all the companies to pay them uh, to delete this info uh, and if they don't get payment um, they'll post all of this information about their employees which includes sort of basically all their personal information. Um, online onto the dark web. Uh, and also recently, um, Microsoft revealed that they had a lot of disruptions and outages um, with sort of Outlook and uh, its email services at the start of uh, this month. And that was, they've just revealed that that was all a direct result of cyber attacks. So I, th- I thought the Crawl report basically just 
lean quite nicely into that because that came out very recently. And it basically reveals that 37% of senior security decision makers at big organizations still completely trust that their organization is protected and can successfully defend against all cyber attacks. Uh, and that's despite the fact that, you know, there's been so many big, you know, major companies, very rich companies that have spent a lot on cybersecurity, um, haven't basically done very well, uh, and they've been exploited in some way, and they've lost some sort of information. Um, and the report basically reveals that trust in their sort of ability to defend against cyber attacks is more than the trust that employees have to avoid them. Uh, so these decision makers are basically, you know, thinking we're safe, um, but most employees aren't trusting that they can actually keep the company safe in their roles. So trust in, in employees was 66%, but the actual trust of employees to sort of identify and prioritize security gaps was 63%. So there's actually less people basically sure they can do the job. Uh, even less people were sure, employees were sure about the effectiveness of the cybersecurity tools and technologies they were using. That's 56%. And basically the report is just highlighting that a lot of the decision makers are thinking we're fine. We've got the, the right um, tech and solutions necessary to keep us safe. But in reality, they probably don't. And the recent news about all these big companies that have sort of being attacked not for their own vulnerability, but through the vulnerability of a third party provider. I just thought it was really interesting that, you know, despite it literally hitting um, all the big sort of news and media sites, people still don't necessarily heed the warning. Um, so I thought it would just be good to get your guys thoughts on, you know, the, the landscape um, right now, basically on and the current climate of, of cybersecurity and cyber attacks. So uh, Francis, what did you think about this? Yeah, no, I thought it was a really interesting article. And I think, you know, well, the one of the big things that stood out to me was this idea of outsourcing cybersecurity services. So in the last paragraph of the article, Jason Smolinoff, the president of Cyber Risk at Kroll, he sort of explains how specialist support will provide the critical viewpoint needed. And the article says that 98% of those organizations that do not already outsource their cybersecurity services have or are considering plans to do so with 51% intending to do so in the next 12 months. And I mean, it's kind of just going back to what you said, but 89% of IT and security decision makers say improvement is needed in the transparency between their security teams and security vendors. And I mean, there's clearly a trend in organizations wanting to outsource security to the experts. And I can't really say I blame them really, because at the end of the day, you know, why try and fight fraudsters yourself, you know, potentially putting your employees at risk and, you know, even consumer data at risk sometimes when you can let experts deal with it. And, you know, in turn, this bolsters consumer confidence because there isn't a failed attack where and their assets are continue to be protected. So I think the issue kind of lies a, a bit, at least in sort of negligence from an employee standpoint in sort of failing to teach yourself, you know, just like failing to teach anything really in the sense of like, you know, thinking that, oh, because we've outsourced it it doesn't affect us anymore. I think that's sort of the wrong idea to have. And I think that, you know, more organizations should take more responsibility on themselves, even if they are outsourcing their cybersecurity um, technology or, you know, having a third party support it. But generally speaking, I think, you know, it is quite shocking to see that there are this many, you know, successful attacks in the day and age, considering how many, you know, cybersecurity firms we hear about, about all the latest technologies being announced. 
But I think there really is sort of, you know, it's it's a two-sided coin. It can't just be, you know, putting all your eggs in sort of like a, a third-party cybersecurity firm to, you know, solve all the problems. I mean, sure, not everyone needs to be an expert in it, but I think that more needs to be done from an employer standpoint just to give their employees more confidence as well. Yeah, I completely agree. And I, I think um, something that I, I thought was interesting as well was the managing director of cyber risk at Kroll um, basically said from his point of view, Security teams want solutions that will fix today's problem without appreciating the facts there is no one and done solution for an ever changing landscape. And like you said, companies are quite happy and organizations need decision makers. They think we can just use third party providers and um, third party services to, to protect us. But in fact, there isn't really a solution as these sort of vulnerabilities have shown um, that have sort of hit the headlines recently that there is never going to be a one and done solution um, in the landscape and people still expect there to be. So I, I think one of the main problems maybe is just attitude towards cyber attacks and, and realizing that because they're ever evolving, that you always need to evolve your solutions and, and how you're protecting yourself against them. Um, but what do you think, Polly? Do you agree, agree with that? Yeah, it's really interesting. I think cybersecurity as just like a general topic is such a sticky one to try and get into because you have to factor in so many different things as an organization to ensure that you are keeping your data secure like there's so many things that you've got to think about and of course the threat is constantly changing all the time like you might download um or i say you might implement like a piece of security or some software or something that solves against one problem and then the next day we could have a new problem coming on like a new trend of, of cyber attacks so you just have to constantly be changing to keep up to date with the ever-evolving you know cyber threats and to remain fully cyber resilient is just a minefield essentially so i think it is a difficult spot for companies to be in and like these different organizations to be in i think it was interesting how um the piece kind of talked about using and working with external partners um on this i think that's an interesting one obviously you know, it, it's that age old um, sort of debate throughout business of whether you go in-house or third party that, you know, that's not dedicated to cybersecurity, that's not de- dedicated to fintech. It's it's just one of those things. And I think it's interesting to think about having that specialist support um, in place when it comes to cybersecurity and cybersecurity threats. But I guess the the kind of the main thing, I, I, I suppose, people or organisations, I should say, need to think about when it is managing sort of cyber risk is the trust i guess to put it down in like a very basic level and in the article um edward starkey who uh, is the associate managing director um of cyber risk at crawl um mentioned sort of things around that like you have to in order to navigate the current threat landscape trust is absolutely imperative you have to trust your team you have to trust your technology you have to trust you know your suppliers there's a whole thing in there on how you've really just got to trust everyone. But I think that trust has to very much be placed in the right way. And I think security teams need to consider so much different information and so many different considerations when they're trying to implement cybersecurity problems. I think it's just, it's what we could talk about it as cybersecurity as a topic, just in so many different ways, you know, in so many different styles and patterns and things because it's just it's changing all the time and there really is no one and done solution for anything when we think about this it's all 
you just constantly have to keep up and you're almost always one step behind as well to the fraudsters or the cyber criminals or whatever you want to call them it's just that constant cat and mouse catch-up game that you're playing so i think it's it's difficult for an organization um to protect against cyber threats but obviously one that is very crucial so it's managing that balance um and getting that balance to the point where you are as safe as you possibly can be but anyway why don't we move on then to francis i'll let you go next um what's your piece on today yeah cheers polly so as i said earlier the title of the article that i'm going to be looking at today is called cvv free it's a mouthful payments launch goes beyond user convenience cash-free payments brings feature to india so what the service is, is in the India-based payments and API banking company, Cash Free Payments, has launched the CVV Free card payments for partner businesses. The payments uh, card enables customers to experience faster, smoother, and more convenient checkouts for saved and tokenized cards on a major network such as Visa, MasterCard, and Rupay. So why I wanted to sort of bring the aim of the card really is to, as I said, introduce a more convenient payment solution and in turn one that doesn't have as many sort of failed purchasing attempts because i mean we've we've discussed on on the podcast before and on the fintech times more generally as well at length you know what a failed uh, purchase or you know uh what's the word i'm looking for it's like a sort of a shopping cart failure or when when the transaction just doesn't go through more often than not a consumer would just say all right fair enough and just move on to go somewhere else and that's losing, you know, valuable consumers. So the aim of the card is to eliminate the need for CVV entry and to in turn streamline the process, reducing traction time by up to five seconds. It also maintains the highest level of security, ensuring compliance with the Reserve Bank of India's regulations. So the cash-free payment CVV, CVV free feature will be automatically enabled for businesses using its token vault solution for the tokenization of cards. Token Vault is a cash-free payments tokenization solution which enables merchants to provision and save card network tokens effortlessly, effortlessly, thereby helping merchants in staying compliant with the Reserve Bank of India's guidelines. So one of the big things to note with this card is that the way it works is, you know, you it eliminates the need for cardholders to manually enter the three to six digit number on the back of their, their cards. As, as I mentioned, this card, this can, you know, sometimes result in a payment failure when the the number is misinputted. Is in, yeah, is misinputted, and with this, users can select their saved card and enter a one-time password and complete tractions, seamlessly reducing, as I mentioned, payment failure. But I think what I wanted to discuss with you guys is, you know, I guess it's almost the use of one-time passwords, really, but. You know, is entering a one-time password a good or a bad thing when you look at, you know, a card like this? Because in my head, at least, it feels like it could take more effort to check your phone, wait to receive the password, then type it in. And of course, there's a margin for error, too, when you're part when you're typing in that number as well. It's not like that's always going to be, you know, error free. I mean, sure, it's only copying and pasting, but, you know, there's always a, a chance of a mistake. And I mean, if somebody knows their card details off off by heart i mean i I, in my head having a new number that comes up every time is probably more complicated however should a card be stolen it has its benefits that the card can't be used because without that cvv number and without the one-time password which of course will come to a secure uh, secure place like 
the the owner's email or something like that you know where they're the ones that are in control therefore the the thieves can't use the card in that regard it's also really good so i just wanted to get your guys's views really and and see what you guys thought polly any thoughts i think when it comes to card payments is a very sort of careful tightrope that you have to follow of both being frictionless um and easy to do and like simple and fast but also being secure and i think obviously putting in i think the two-factor authentication you have pretty much everywhere now on everything um every time i've made a purchase in the past couple of weeks it's always been with some sort of two-factor authentication putting code in uh, to confirm the payment and is it a pain well yeah but for the extra i don't know 10 seconds it takes for me to do it at least i know that there's some level of security there and i think it's interesting to think if that wasn't there how how else could you make things secure right like what other options are there to help reduce um the friction but also keep up the highest level of security as is humanly possible possible as is humanly possible both you know to make sure people's details aren't getting stolen but also to make sure that things are complying with regulations um so i think the the constant dance that payments have to make in order to be convenient and frictionless and all those other buzzwords but safe and secure is a tricky one and i think you know every it's always trying to make things faster right it's always trying to make things faster smoother you know you can save your cards in different places you can save your card on apple pay now so now i only have to like show my face and then it can make a payment that's pretty convenient um and now with like the you know the cvb free payments that's pretty convenient and i think it's just a really tricky one to balance that convenience with safety and security and i guess it'd be interesting to see where payments go you know what i mean like it's it's i think it's fairly easy to make like we're talking about seconds like literally we're talking about getting rid of seconds from the payments process um and you kind of step back and wonder is it worth it is it worth putting these solutions in place just to get rid of like three seconds in the payments process and i imagine a lot of people in the fintech industry and the payment industry probably go yes it's absolutely worth it because these are innovative um situations and you want to keep digital payments you know getting up to speed and ensure safety and the convenience for consumers but it's just a really it's a really tricky one i think and it's a really interesting one to get into because you almost kind of think where are where are payments going to go like we're trying to make them as frictionless as possible how how can you keep going from that how can you carry on innovating um sort of thing so it's a, it's a tricky one i think and it but i think it always just comes back to balancing convenience with security it, it has to yeah i definitely think there's like you brought up a lot of good points and i think you know it, you do need to balance convenience with safety you can't just go down one side or the other because that just isn't a recipe for success me i don't know maybe it's just me like i do see what you're saying in the sense of like it is just a little bit longer and in some instances sure i do think it would be really good but like it's only useful once you've got the card saved somewhere initially and to have saved it in the first place you would need to have entered all the details correctly so in that regard in in my head at least i mean sure if a card is already saved and then all i need to do is put in the cvv you know the 
those three to six numbers, then more often than not, it almost becomes like um it almost becomes like a reflex, you know, just to type in those same numbers each time whenever it needs to it needs to happen. But I do agree in some instances, you know, it would be very useful to have, you know, that extra layer of protection. But in others, I, I don't know, sometimes it, I think it might just be a little bit irritating because it's just like a small purchase. Like, you know, if it's not something, you know, detrimentally big or anything like that, it was, you know, like a, a five to 10 pound purchase off Amazon, for example, like theoretically speaking, if it if it was like that, I think it would just be more of a an inconvenience, you know, to have to wait and check and, you know, see all that stuff from, do you know what I mean? I think that's where like there's a, a potential, you know, a potential call for for its its flaws, I suppose. But yeah, no, I, I definitely do agree that in some instances it would be very, very good and to have. And, you know, like you said, it's at the end of the day, it's probably like just a little bit longer off your time and it does ensure, you know, more security. Tom, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I feel like you've both hit the nail on the head for all the arguments so far, really. Um, I feel like maybe I'm a bit of a victim to just advertise them because I don't really think about how it might be less convenient. My mind went straight to it's safer than CVV codes because, you know, if you lose your card, they can't make a payment online because they still don't have the code that's being sent to your mobile phone. And you've always got your mobile phone on you. So it's convenient because you're always going to get the code 99 times, you know, 99 times out of 100. You've always got your mobile phone on you now. Um, and I just thought it was a good example of evolving payments to keep people more secure, but also make it more convenient. But I think it's, uh, you're right when you say that, you know, there are times it's going to be less convenient if you don't have as much signal on your phone, you don't receive the the text of your code on, for example. Um, it, it might uh, cause a problem for you. Um, but I think generally speaking, it's in the right direction. There are obviously going to be circumstances, like you said, for smaller payments, you know, there are a few pounds um, or equivalent uh, wherever you are in the world. Um, it might be a bit more inconvenient, um, but I guess it's all down to just making sure that that service, you know, sending the, the, the one-time password to them in whatever manner that comes um, is just uh, successful in, in, in most cases, basically. Um, I also thought it could be convenient, you know, if you've got multiple cards, you might not, you know, I, I tend to only use one card, so I, I have everything memorized, so it's quite handy just to have the free um, number code. I've got it in my mind all the time. I remember everything. I can put it in easy checkout every time. Um, but if you've got multiple cards, for example, it could be something that's more convenient because you, you get cards numbers mixed up, you get the codes mixed up, getting a code sent, you know, via text or email. It's just going to be more uh, a better solution, I suppose. So, yeah, I thought it was an interesting um, kind of kind of topic because, I, to my mind, I just didn't immediately think of of the the ways it might not be as convenient. But I think it's just a good example of of payments evolving to, as as Polly said, kind of try and keep it more secure, but also actually improve convenience and and just the speed of payments. So, yeah, I thought it was uh, an interesting discussion. I'm starting to think maybe I'm a bit of a cynic. I feel like every time we we talk on the podcast, I'm always the one being like, ah, let me play devil's advocate real quick and let me just uh, explain why it's not good. But no, I think that's a very good point there is that, you know, like you, I only really use one card. I don't know, Polly, if you're the same. So for me, I've sort of got, you know, as you said, the three digits like memorized. So I guess like if you're thinking about it from like a, you know, a personal uh, or, or I should say like a private business point of view, right? Like a small business card or something like that. You know, having that 
availability and you know that secure way to make a payment in that instance i can only ever see it being a benefit so no i think you know there's definitely two sides to this probably more so i think it's just situational i think that's the 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 crux of it really is just that you know it depends on on the situation what you're trying to use the card for if it's for a small payment probably a bit of a pain but you know for a bigger payment perhaps for a business absolutely it's got its benefits yeah let's go to the last article polly Thank you very much. So the last article takes us, uh, well, continues to take us into sort of the payment space. Um, and basically, this piece is how alternative payment loyalty cards can ensure customer retention in a younger demographic, specifically looking at embedded banking products. Uh, so Vadino and Aon Bank found that customer loyalty has increased when embedding banking in, I can't speak today. So Vadino and Aon Bank has found that customer loyalty has increased when uh, when embedded banking has been used. So they have done a study and found that two in five consumers have said they'll only remain loyal to brands offering services like final pay later and cashback. That figure rises to 50% among 25 to 34 year olds. Um, but over a third of respondents are more likely to seek a brand that offers flexible payment options, including buy now, pay later. So I think interestingly, um, the idea around sort of having like an all-in-one, so there's, I mean, there's a lot of things going on here, but the idea of having an all-in-one solution um, in your app or your website or your banking and your branding, you know, that is clear that that's really important to sort of customers based on this study. And as well, it's the idea of having like alternative payment methods. So one thing is loyalty cards and like the value of loyalty cards. So according to the study, the consumers that are more likely to engage with loyalty cards if they include uh, buy now pay later, which was highest amongst the youngest consumers they surveyed, which was 53% for those aged 16 to 24. So there's, it's kind of talking about customer loyalty and customer retention here, which I guess is the big thing that brands need to think about. So when it comes to embedded banking, 16% of customers said that they shop with their favorite brands once every two or three weeks. However, those who have used their brand's embedded banking product, that rose to 36% that they returned to the brand's app or website between three and five times a month. So it's basically kind of emphasizing the commercial and loyalty benefits of embedded banking here. And that that is kind of, Vadino and Aon are kind of saying that like, this is the key for brands to grow and to get that customer loyalty and customer retention. And specifically as well, it helps the business grow on a customer front because 23% of respondents say, more likely to recommend a brand to friends and family if a company offered these services, so embedded finance services. So I thought this was interesting and it's kind of talking about embedded banking in a way that, you know, not it is not the trending factor at the moment. Like embedded banking is like the buzzword at the moment. I think everyone wants everything embedded. Um, you know, we've just been to FinTech with London where we've heard so much about embedded banking and embedded finance, you know, Money 2020 a couple of weeks ago, that was all about embedded banking and embedded finance. It's like the only thing everyone's talking about at the moment, which you can see why, because of the significant benefits, I think, that you can get from embedded banking um, from a, a variety of standpoints. So obviously here we're talking about sort of on the consumer front um, and for Aon Bank and Vadino, they believe that the benefits of embedded banking can't be ignored when it comes to kind of keeping consumers interested and influencing their loyalty to Bass and Aon products. And, you know, specifically, with the cost of living crisis at the moment, competition for consumers has never been higher. 
Um, and as well, consumers are always going to be looking for like the best deal or the best situation for them personally. So when you can offer these flexible payment methods and various different like, lending options to provide more choice, all embedded right there in your own solution, it kind of makes sense as to why it's impacting brand loyalty. So I wanted to sort of bring that to you guys, because again, I think this is a talking about embedded finance in a way that it's quite relatable, I think, because I, when I don't know about you guys, but embedded finance kind of sometimes goes a little bit over my head. Um, it sounds a very simple thing and then you start getting into it, and you start talking about it and it gets a little bit confusing. But from this front, embedded finance is, is kind of makes sense. You know, it's relatable. It's OK. I understand this from a consumer basis because we are all consumers ourselves. So I wanted to bring this to the table today and kind of talk about what you think embedded banking can do for sort of just general customer retention, customer loyalty in brands. And do you think that we're going to see a lot more embedded banking solutions, innovating customer journeys? And is this kind of the next area of disruption in order to get brands loyalty on board? I mean, what, what do you guys think, Tom? Yeah, I was actually quite surprised because um, the, the article firstly kind of says one of the biggest things that impacts brand loyalty is product prices. And, and you know, we're all kind of experiencing the, the effects of living during a cost of living crisis. And I think I was thinking, you know, people's priorities have really shifted because of a cost of living crisis. So, you know, they're always trying to spend the least amount that was going to shop around for the best deals. So in terms of a time for brand loyalty, it's actually really tough unless you are the the brand that's, you know, having the, the cheapest prices for all your products, you know, it's going to be quite a tough time. So I was actually quite surprised by the fact that sort of these embedded banking services and sort of the offering of buy now, pay later um, sort of included within these was interesting because it had more of an effect on, on brand loyalty than I maybe would have expected, at least as far as this um, report goes. So, yeah, I, I just thought it was a really interesting because it had much more of an effect than I would have thought. And obviously, you know, convenience goes a long way. People want to come back to um, the brands that are offering them the biggest um, sort of flexibility when it comes to spending their money. Obviously, buy now, pay later is a, is a big factor in that because it ensures that you can spread your payments across. Um, you know, you don't have to pay in a lump sum uh, all the time and, ha and having those kind of services embedded is obviously going to make it a lot easier um, for people to to make use of them, basically, and, and, and use them with your brand. Um, but certainly in terms of sort of other aspects of it, you know, as you said, embedded banking can get quite confusing sometimes. And, and I find that from uh, myself, too. Um, but it just surprised me that actually it could have such a big impact on, on getting increasing the percentages so much. Um, in the sense of improving brand loyalty. Uh, so, yeah, I just thought it was uh, quite surprising, at least from, from my standpoint, um, about how big an impact it could have. And I think this report kind of highlights the fact that embedding these kind of services surely is the future. If it's having such a big impact now, especially during a cost of living crisis, which in my opinion would maybe lessen the impact of, of embedding these kind of services um, regarding brand loyalty, and I think it kind of highlights that, you know, maybe when we're not living in a cost of living crisis, however long that might take or, or when that is, um, these kind of services could could thrive even more and, and ensure even more brand loyalty. So, yeah, that's uh, from from my standpoint, I think it surely is the future um, in answer to your question. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think you, you've kind of hit the nail on the head there. And I guess it kind of harks back to what we were saying um, for the previous article 
and that it, it all comes down to convenience right like everyone wants everything to be fast and quick and convenient and if you're like buying something on a website and suddenly it pops up to you like oh do you want to pay in three with xxxy buy an pay later company oh do you want to open a credit card with you know if that pops up straight to you it makes sense as to why you're getting you know increased because because people can do things quickly they can do things easily so of course you're going to go back that brand to purchase things and you're going to sort of tell everyone that they should do that too because you know that that's the power of i think consumer loyalty and just generally everything's in the hand of the consumer so i think brands are going to want to do everything they can in order to get that going i mean francis what do you think do you think is this is the is this the big disruptor that everyone keeps saying that it is from my point of view i yeah i mean the more that i've sort of come to see that you know embedded banking and embedded finance we've sort of spoken about it before it's one of those things that people a lot of the time don't even realize they're using it right it's one of those that you know people sort of you hear the word and you're like i don't know what that is but then it turns out that you're using it in your day-to-day life and i think you know just on the sort of topic of loyalty cards like the the article sort of uh brings up it and it doesn't really surprise me that you know we're starting to see more organizations go with this route of, you know, encouraging alternative payments through embedded banking and stuff like that. Because as I said, from a personal point of view, the more I've started to use these technologies myself, the more I'm realizing how useful they can really be. And it, and it really is sort of this idea of, you know, survival of the fittest. And it, you know, when you're talking about a company versus another and, you know, who's going to keep the consumer and who's going to lose out, it really does come down to survival of the fittest. And what I mean by that is, you know, which company is going to be willing to adapt, which company is willing to implement these new technologies and sort of stay ahead of the curve and, you know, keep them relevant, really. And, you know, I think the more that we see organizations sort of tap into embedded banking and really sort of explore its opportunities and, you know, what it can really bring to the table. I mean, it's like you you said, Polly, you know, it really does hark back to this idea of convenience. And if you've just got all these different methods sort of at your fingertips then i i don't really see a world in which that that reflects badly you know i think it's only ever going to be be a win for for the organizations implementing them yeah i absolutely agree and it's one of those things i think we all have to i guess see what happens you know and not to be the average of oh well looking forward to seeing what this is in the future but i think it is absolutely true and i think embedded finance is one of those things that's just really going to come into its own a lot of times the more we're thinking about it um but thank you guys for that really interesting discussion it has been fantastic today uh, if you want to hear more about anything we've spoken about on the podcast today or any more news and insights about the fintech world head on over to fintechtimes.com you can read plenty more articles features and all sorts of wonderful things over there and very quickly let's move on to what i learned this week so each week so much new news information and insights across our desk being on the Fitter Times editorial theme that we are learning something new all the time. So we thought it'd be fun to share that with our listeners. So Tom, what have you learned this week? Yes, this week I learned uh, that one in 10 UK graduates fear AI replacing their job role, um, which ranks it alongside some of the traditional concerns such as low pay or feeling underqualified. Uh, and this is a new research from the CFA Institute um, and I just thought that was interesting because it shows how quickly AI is becoming um, such a concern for people just regarding their everyday jobs um, and they're ranking it, you know, it's growing so rapidly, this sort of concern, and it's nearly catching up to the likes of, you know, feeling underpaid or feeling underqualified. 
Awesome. And then Francis, what have you learned this week? I think it would be rude not to say, not to bring up Fintech Week London. So I think one of the biggest takeaways that I got from it, or one of the stats that I found most interesting was on the day one of the event. And it was when Matthew Long, the director of payments and digital assets of the FCA, talked about the opportunities of crypto. And he explained how recent FCA research has shown that one in 10 people in the UK have some form of crypto. And I mean, you know, with everything that's going on in the crypto world, one in 10, I don't know. I, it, I just thought it was quite an interesting stat. That is pretty interesting. Um, and then mine also comes from Fintech We London. Uh, so this is a quote that I just really wanted to share because I loved it. And it was from um, a panel organized by uh, Julia Streets. And it was said by Damon Bamra. And I, I will admit, I was not there for this panel, but I have seen it later in roundups. And I just think it's fantastic. It's about embedded finance again. Uh, but essentially... Uh, They said embedded finance is essentially when your parents and their parents before them and their forefathers all bank with Barclays. Barclays is embedded into your family. And if you try to go to Nationwide, you're going to be excommunicated from your family. Even if they offer you financial incentives, you can't do it if you love your family. And I thought that was a really fantastic take um, and a new definition of embedded finance that I've not heard before. So very much enjoyed. Uh, But anyway, guys, thank you so much for joining me once again on the podcast. It has been a blast talking about Fintech with you. And hopefully uh, we have a bit more of a chill week, I think, after the craziness that was in Surrey, London. So um, I'll catch you on the next one. See you guys next week. See you guys then. Thanks for listening to the Fintech Times News and Views podcast. Don't miss next week's episode and continue the conversation using hashtag TFT News and Views and follow us at the Fintech Times.